I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Here in these 50 days following Easter Sunday, as we participate in the Easter season, the Paschal Tide, we are invited to encounter Christ with the apostles, the risen Christ, in a very particular way. Uh, perhaps you encounter Christ as Thomas did, uncertain about the, the reality of this. You, you know what has been told to you. You're not quite sure if you can really wholeheartedly buy into it. Uh, maybe some of it, right? But, but maybe not all of it. Christ risen from the dead to restore us into new life, to restore us into union with the Father. And not only that, but to make us sharers in his divine nature. It's hard to swallow sometimes. Maybe you have a hard time going into Mass and, and seeing the bread and the wine be consecrated, but you don't really have a full understanding or, or really can't quite grasp what it means for that that was bread and wine to be turned into in some mystical way through the process we in the Catholic Church call transubstantiation into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Maybe you're Thomas and you have a hard time. Maybe you're those two wanderers, two disciples who are on the road to Emmaus going home on that hard day, right? That first, that first resurrection Sunday when the news has not yet reached your ears. Maybe you feel a little defeated by life and you know the promises of God, just like they knew the scriptures, but you have a really hard time seeing how your current circumstances line up with what God's promised. They knew the promises of God. They knew what the Messiah was going to be. And yet everything they thought they knew was turned on its head through the crucifixion. Maybe you're like the Marys who are first approaching the tomb, coming with grief and with sadness at what you have been dealt, but still soldiering on to do the work for those you love. Just like them, Christ wants to come and meet you where you are and to give you a profound experience of his resurrection. Maybe like the, uh, like the women, you have a task that's given to you. Go and tell the apostles that I'll meet them in Galilee. Maybe you get a glimpse like those on the road to Emmaus. You get a glimpse of who Christ is as he revealed himself and was made known to them in the breaking of the bread, and then he was gone. You have that brief glimpse of hope and then nothing. Whatever it is, however Christ is coming to you this Paschal season, know that this experience of Christ resurrected is not meant for the experience alone. It's not meant for you just to be consoled. It's not meant just to give you hope. But through the Eucharist, we become sharers in Christ's divine nature. We are enabled and empowered to become holy. And that holiness is not, again, just for itself. But we, through the, our life of holiness, 
are to bring holiness to the world. Blessed, as it says in the Old Testament, to be a blessing. Nourished, to go out and nourish. Healed, to go out and heal. We've been made participants in Christ's mission. This mission to go out and to evangelize. This mission to go out and to share the news that God became man, dwelt among us, lived a sinless life, suffered and died for our sins and brought us back into full communion with God the Father, brought us back into relationship with God. And so as we have that, we are now empowered to share that. Now, everybody's going to share that in a different way. And, it, and frankly, you're going to have a very specific way that you are called to live that out and called to share that that's radically different from mine because you have a different circle of influence than I have. And the ways that you have been gifted and the ways that you are called are going to fit with who you are. They're going to grow out of, of your personality and out of your talents and out of your skills and all for the greater glory of God. In the same way, mine will be different than yours. Mine have uh, very specific things that I have to discern. I've got to be open to hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that means I've got to put myself in a place where I can hear the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time thing that we encounter Christ and then we're good and we can carry on and, and don't ever have to, to experience him again. No, we experience the resurrected Christ. We're brought into relationship, an ongoing connection with God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit by the work done by Christ on the cross. We receive the same call that his first disciples received. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. We're called to the life of a disciple. And as we live out this discipleship, as we uh, participate in the sacraments to to continue that relationship, to nurture and, and grow that relationship with God, uh, then, like the disciples, we'll be given tasks, right? The disciples, they followed Jesus. They walked around with him for three years, but it wasn't just that. Uh, then when they're out, he says, here, I'm going to bless this bread. Now go hand this out. And we have the miracle of the multiplication. He, he sent them out to preach the good news. He sent them out to do any number of things. And so we who live in this relationship with God, experiencing him through the sacraments, now are given mission. We're going to be talking today specifically about the place and the role of the Mass in the life of a disciple. To talk about that, we're going to be speaking with Tony Vicinda. He is the Director of Evangelization and Outreach for a parish in the Seattle area. It's going to be a great conversation. So don't go too far. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. As we talk today about the mass, why don't you share with me one of your experiences of hearing the voice of God calling you into mission through your participation in the mass. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls and there's much more to come right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. 
I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and over this Easter tide, this Paschal season, we have been talking about the Mass in various and different angles that we look at it. We've been talking about active participation. We've been talking about how uh, the Mass forms us and shapes us. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about the role of the Mass in the life of a disciple. We're joined in studio today by Tony Vicinda, who's the Director of Evangelization and Outreach at St. Luke's Parish in Shoreline, Washington, just down the road here. Uh, he is also, you might have heard of him through ProjectYM.com, which is this uh, fabulous website that assists youth ministers all over the country. Uh, and maybe, maybe you've heard of him and you didn't know it, like, like me, uh, through his Catholic Beard Balm. And of course, you've got the beard that, that you would expect for being the purveyor of Catholic beard. The balm. beard that launched a thousand ships, yes. The, and, you know, we had you on the show before dur- uh, during a series we did on evangelization sometime last year. And at the end of that show is when it, it came to me that that's, that you were connected. That's me, yeah. Uh, and of course, I, I have used Catholic beard balm myself. I, pr- I prefer, you, you started with this chrism. That was our that was our breakaway, yeah. That was the breakaway, and it was kind of by accident. Yeah, so we were at a youth ministers conference, and um, or had no, one coming before up. that. Before that, you you wanted the, you oh, ended up with the chrism. I ended up with the chrism by accident, also too, because I wanted to make some non consecrated chrism to engage people in my parish as we were doing sacramental prep in the uh, the aromas and the sensations mm-hmm. of the liturgy, um, and so I wanted to get about an ounce of unconsecrated chrism and the minimum amount of essence of chrism you can order is enough to make three gallons. And so um, I had a little extra and was making beard balm for myself and my friends and thought, well, this will be a fun way to make some extra money for Project YM at our next conference. And then it just kind of exploded over the next yeah. six months. And so I personally don't do the chrism because that's I don't want to I don't want to take away from my experience of chrism when we baptize babies. But uh, yeah. not everyone's like that. Um, uh, my preferred beard balm is the, uh, the 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 one that smells like incense. Holy smokes. Holy smokes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, I don't mind that. No, no and I, I agree. So I don't use chrism on a regular basis either. It is our most popular by far. Um, but I think there is a reality that um, I wish it wasn't sometimes mm-hmm. because I, I agree. I like the sacredness of knowing that it is for certain things. So when people tell me like, hey, I only wear it at Easter or I wear it for baptisms or at confirmation or at sacraments, I really like that. I think that's a great liturgical use right. of it. Um, and and I really encourage that. So I, I like when people are really thoughtful that way. And I mean, we like people supporting Catholic youth ministry through right. that. So, you know, because all the money that comes in through that goes straight into, into ministry. Yeah, into ministry. Yeah. Uh, so about a quarter million of dollars a year gets funneled into missionary and ministry work in Uganda, the Philippines, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it funds all of our free online resources for Catholic youth ministers. One of those locations doesn't seem quite like the others. Yeah, you know, Chattanooga, <laughs> only 3% of the population is Catholic, but it is where our active ministry base for Project William, my co-director, Michael Marchand, lives down there. So I'm flying down there next week to do an online youth ministry conference. So everybody else gets to stay home, but I've still got to travel for this conference. And they can find out about that over at projectym.com. Projectym.com or thrivecon.com. Both of those will work. All right. Well, we're talking right now about the mass. We haven't gotten there yet. Uh, But you spend your days helping people connect with God specifically. You meet them where they are and you make an introduction whether it be uh, just to someone who's going to listen to them, right? And 
planting those first seeds, or whether it be engaging someone with the belief of the church and, and drawing them into full communion. Yeah. That's what you do all day, every day. All day, every day. Now, the, the Mass is the source, as the documents say, the source and the summit of our faith. So everything that you're doing uh, is leading people into this sacramental reality. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about uh, how you see evangelism as participating in that sacramental reality, both as uh, drawing people to the summit and it being the source from which you draw strength to go out and do evangelization. I would I would kind of note two things in that first part as far as, well, let's start with the second part first. Let's talk about how that fuels things. Um, so I think there's a real strong need for anybody who's out there who's seeking to do evangelism um, uh, or evangelization. I know that you're probably not comfortable with either word just hearing it <laughs> might, might as a Catholic make you, uh, you know, cringe a little bit, but um, it's our identity as a church. It's our deepest identity. And it's drawn from that place of encountering God in the Eucharist through the liturgy. And so to be empowered in that way, to, to have the necessary grace you need to go out and engage somebody in that and to have the kind of just strength of spirit that a lot of people need to bring up faith for the first time in a conversation where they may not feel comfortable doing so does require um, you to be filled with those graces. And so really starting at that place of receiving the sacraments yourself, of participating actively in the life of the church, of being there on Sunday or Saturday night, or even more ideally, if you know you've got a big day where you're going to have opportunities to proclaim the gospel going to to daily mass mm-hmm. is a great way to to prepare yourself for that and enter it into it more deeply. I know that for me, um, it's not just the Eucharist, so that's a that's a huge part of how I receive the grace. Typically, I find that I am most capable of communicating the gospel well when I've recently heard the gospel. And so when I go to mass and I actually hear the readings, it will typically stir things in me that I'll start thinking about, which makes it easier than later on in the day to say. When somebody's like, what are you thinking about? Or, hey, what have you been up to? To have something at the top of my head that I've been reflecting on in my own discipleship journey to share with them. And it usually what I like to do is just lead with a question I have somewhere I'm uncertain because it creates a sense of vulnerability and it lets them share their thoughts or it lets them ask a question back. Um, and it makes it a lot less, you know, of an imposition than saying like, oh, like, let me tell let you me, about Let Jesus. me tell you the gospel <laughs> or let me tell you about Jesus saying, you know, here's something I've been thinking about all day long because I went to, to Mass this morning and here's what the reading was. And so there's a little bit of proclamation, but that that vulnerability and just showing them that I wrestle with questions is huge. Um, and so I think it's a couple parts about receiving it. But um, on the second part of invitation, uh, it's kind of there's kind of a two part approach. One is I want to invite people into beautiful liturgical experiences that are transcendent. And um, I think that's a that's kind of a loaded word like when you use the throw out terms like transcendent like right. what am i transcending where am i transcending from where yeah. am i transcending to i want to invite them into something that helps them step outside of the ordinary though and i know that mass does that objectively mm-hmm. um but i don't know that mass always does that evidently in every single parish so I think that's one of the biggest challenges people have is if they don't feel inspired by their local mass, um, if they don't necessarily know that it's something that somebody's going to have a positive experience for, it's hard mm-hmm. to say, would you come to mass with me? Because right. you don't know what they're going to receive. Well, and, and you know, sometimes uh, this idea of what do we receive out of the mass? Uh, in fact, we're talking next week with uh, Dr. Timothy O'Malley about his book, Bored Again Catholic. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. Uh, and uh, there is a sense that sometimes 
there is something objectively that can be done to help with our liturgies, but sometimes it's just a matter of us changing our perception of how it is we need to participate. Yeah. And to, to be more aware that God meets us even in bad liturgies. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, I think for the disciple, that's really important for mm. the person who's aware of that in the conversation. But if it's somebody's first mass, like if I have somebody who's been away from mass for a right. long time, from an evangelistic standpoint, it's really hard to invite people to yeah. <laughs> to bad liturgy. But I actually have, I will say, even even liturgies I've been to that are kind of lackluster, um, because Christ is still present, mm-hmm. just explaining what the movements and the motions are, and this is not to sound pejorative, but as you would do a child. Right. Like in the same way you would explain to a child, hey, here's what's happening right now, and here's what's happening right now. The person behind you may get frustrated at you talking during Mass, but the reality mm-hmm. is if you're helping someone who's new to it journey into that, Ignore the person behind you. They can be upset. They can tell right. Father. Um, but everybody I know who I've been able to have that experience with, whether the liturgy has been um, transcendent and beautiful or whether it's been a normal Sunday liturgy that has its high moments and its low moments or even times when it's been bad, they've been able to step around that a little bit more easily. Now, you kind of danced around this. And, and so just to I, I know what you're thinking, or at least I think I know what you're thinking here. Uh, it can be so easy when we want to bring someone to Christ or we want to, uh, and not, not in the, the whole journey sense, but we want to, you know, help accompany them toward Christ. It can be very easy to get into our heads and to know all the right things and to have all the right answers or to be afraid we don't have all the right answers and therefore we don't even attempt Mm -hmm. and, and miss the fact that all of the power of our evangelization comes not from our knowledge uh, but from our connection and communion with God. Yeah. Well, it comes from a relationship, right? And right. so especially when, when, if I want somebody to get to know my wife, mm-hmm. right, I don't, um, I don't necessarily invite them to her birthday for the first time. I mean, that's one thing. But I also do want to make sure I'm inviting them into a place where they can enter into a place of relationship with her and those relationships can meet each other. My relationship with my spouse and my relationship with this other person. That's the same thing for liturgy um, or, or any sort of evangelization right. moment. I want a place where they can encounter Christ and I want a place where um, my relationship with them can be, can, can fit into that, which I guess also brings me to the second part. I think mass is a great thing that we should invite people to more regularly. I also don't know that it's always the first stop on inviting right. something, something right. at church. And I think that's really hard in some of our, our communities is we don't know what that middle step is. We don't know, hey, it's even hard to go to from parish fish fry to mass sometimes mm-hmm. because parish fish fry may be, you know, well, depending on where you live. I grew up in the south. It's not the same here in Seattle. We just we just eat soup on Fridays during Lent. I don't get it. We got to We got to We got to work on that, Timothy. <laughs> uh, um, but but, you know, it was it was, you know, uh, a great fish dinner, usually an expensive, good community, um, usually a couple of beers after, you know, stations. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was people would hang out for hours and yeah. jumping from that to the liturgy, depending on the parish, can be hard, um, especially if you are in a highly Protestant area where they may not have an understanding of what liturgy is or in a highly unchurched area like mm-hmm. Seattle. And so sometimes I think there is a need to be really intentional as church about where are some middle liturgical spaces that are extensions of the mass mm-hmm. that we can invite people to? And these might be things like um, uh, worship nights with adoration, right? right. And, and when I say worship, I don't mean in any sort of particular musical octave. I just mean a time and a space where people can come and experience a mix of silence and spoken word and hopefully, ideally, really good music that 
even if they're not Catholic and not Christian, they can still be exposed to God's love in the Eucharist, um, even if they're unaware of it. I know so many people who have had conversion stories through being exposed to the Eucharist and adoration when they were completely unaware of what it is. And I think creating a night where it's just, hey, come in here, talk, hear some music, have a time for silence, which we don't necessarily get in our life, is a great is a great way to kind of have a middle step in that. I have a friend of mine who came into the church about the same time I did. I'm not going to name any names so that this story can be fully anonymous, but uh, this person talked about coming into this time of adoration as a Protestant person uh, visiting a Catholic and and realizing and feeling the, the very presence of God in the midst of adoration and saying to themselves as a Protestant, oh, man. Now I feel such peace here. Now I gotta. Now I gotta deal with this, right? I, yeah. I know I feel God here, and so now I have to somehow make uh, make sense of this, and and it's turning my whole world upside down. Mm-hmm. And so even those kinds of experiences, uh, where we give people a chance to encounter Christ mm-hmm. in some way, uh, can make a profound difference in their life. We're talking specifically about the Mass, about the Eucharist, about communion with God. Today with Tony Vicenda, Director of Evangelization and Outreach at St. Luke's Parish in Shoreline, Washington, just on the north side of Seattle. we got a lot more to this conversation coming up right after the break. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with much more. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today about the place of the Mass and of the Eucharist in the life of the disciple, both as the disciple receiving and coming into communion with Christ and as the object of, uh, of our invitation to others as we invite people to encounter Christ in the Eucharist. We're talking today with Tony Vicenda, Director of Evangelization and Outreach at St. Luke Parish in Shoreline, Washington, just on the north side of Seattle. Tony, thanks for joining us in the studio today. Thanks for having me. So between the break, uh, you brought up this quote. Uh, it's a part of a sermon series that you're going through from uh, from Henry Nowen. Mm-hmm. And I think it ties in pretty neatly to what we were talking about just now in terms of uh, our own need for the Mass in evangelization. So why don't you share that with us? Yeah, so this is uh, Henry Nowen shared this in uh, Leadership Magazine in 1995. It's an article called From Solitude to Community to Ministry. And it's uh, my good friend Sarah Kazmarek, um, who runs Alpha Catholic, is doing a series for us. And this is what she was operating out of, and it's going to be over the the next three weekends that we're kind of unpacking this idea. Um, but the this quote starts, Notice the order. From solitude to community to ministry. The night is for solitude, the morning for community, and the afternoon for ministry. So often in ministry I've wanted to do it by myself. If it didn't work, I went to others and said, Please, searching for a community to help me. If that doesn't work, maybe I'd start praying. But the order that Jesus teaches us is the reverse. It begins with God and solitude. Then it creates a fellowship, a community with whom the mission is being lived. And finally, this community goes out together to heal and proclaim the good news. 
And that comes back to what we were talking about as the Mass, as the Eucharist being source and summit. Not only the source and summit of our faith, but also the source and summit of our own life of discipleship and our process of making disciples. Mm -hmm. Uh, So often we think, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to share everything I know with everyone. And whether we do that on social media or some other format, we generally end up making enemies and not making disciples. <laughs> that happens sometimes, yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've been known to have a few tense tense conversations about liturgy on the internet. I've seen tenser ones than ones I've had. Right. But yeah, yeah, it's something that people can definitely get out of order and can be really challenging to, uh, to unpack. And it's through receiving the graces from the sacrament. And we even see this with Christ as he, before he goes out into ministry, before he goes out and does these amazing miracles, it says he goes away to a lonely place, mm-hmm. right? He spends the evening in, in prayer before he wakes up the next day and goes and, and makes this connection between God and people. Yeah. And I think it's hard for us to think about mass as a place of solitude a lot of the time because mm-hmm. we understand it to be this communal action. Um, and one of the things I think is most beautiful about the church is it's this it's an action of communion amongst individuals. And mm-hmm. so there is this understanding that as much as we are coming together as a community, um, we're not doing those in a mindless way. We're not doing those in an abstracted way. And even though the the rubrics and the settings of the Mass may be beyond any individual, every individual who comes to Mass is coming to participate as an individual with the community. And so there is this experience of and this can sound a little dark, but it's, I think it's one of the most beautiful parts about it. We are all alone in this together, right? <laughs> like, um, and that, and that we are all able to come into this place and have a unique, but totally communal experience with God in a way that defines, defies human understanding, um, which is just pointing more firmly at the fact that it's a totally divine experience right. of God. And so, um, I, I, I'm always struck that <laughs> I probably drive my wife nuts for me. Mass whether it's daily mass or on a weekend, whether I have to get up and, you know, help with announcements or somebody collapsed in the back. And so I have to get up, you know, whenever, whenever I'm actually able to be present to liturgy, which hopefully is most of the time, um, it drives my wife nuts because I will hyper-focus on the altar and the ambo to the exclusion of what's happening beside me. Now I'm, I'm, you know, I may still be vaguely aware of my, my kid's behavior, but lots of the times I'm leaned forward Right. And they're leaned back <laughs> and they're, they're slapping each other in the back of the head. And I'm just focused on really hearing what's being proclaimed or mm-hmm. participating in the prayer. And so for me, that's, that's always made sense. It's always made sense that mass is a communal experience, but it's something that we come to as individuals. But I know that for not every, for everybody, that's not the case. And mm-hmm. it's, um, it's something that's ineffable. It's hard to describe and explain a lot right. of the time, but it's one of the things I think is most beautiful about the liturgy. You know, the idea that when the priest says, your sacrifice uh, and, and mine, may, may your sacrifice and mine be acceptable, uh, this, um, this idea that I can at that moment put my worries or my anxieties or, or even my availability to God, mm-hmm. I can put that on the altar and, and give that as my sacrifice, even as, as the sacrifice once for all is being... Uh, represented to us. Right, right. And I think that's huge. I think, I mean, I know you've already talked a little bit about active and, and full participation, but I mean, the reality is when we pray, it's and when and when the priest is saying you, 
it's not just geared at the you of a generic community. It's geared mm-hmm. at the you of the individual. It's an invitation, um, not from the priest, but from Christ to enter into that moment in exactly that way, bringing our, our sorrows, our frustrations, our struggles, but also our joys and everything that we are uh, and placing them on the altar and asking God to accept them and do what he will with them. Let's talk about community participation for just a minute. Let's, I, I have this picture in my mind of uh, the children of Israel about to cross the Red Sea. And the children of Israel, together, as a community, cross the Red Sea. But it wouldn't have been possible if every individual person did not pick up their feet and begin mm-hmm. to walk. Mm-hmm. right? And so even as we're participating in this communal reality, it requires my individual steps and your individual steps and our neighbor's individual steps. And then in that... That's where the community comes in. Yeah. And and it's the most amazing thing about that. I love that image because the most amazing thing about that is, you know, if you, especially if we look at Exodus as the story of the church, the prefigurement of that, that happens globally across the world today, right? right. It's not, and, it's, and it happens throughout time from that moment of crossing the Red Sea mm-hmm. uh, as part of that story through today, like all of God's people in different ways and unique places scattered across time and the world have to choose to pick up their feet and move. Um, and we're all called to do it at the same time in the same place, but everyone uniquely has to make that, that choice. That choice. You know, I, um, I remember right after I became Catholic, I think I've shared this story here before, um, but right after I became Catholic, there was a, a, a bombing of a church in Nigeria, and, and it had uh, caused several casualties among the faithful of this Catholic church. And, and I remember for the first time uh, that I'd never, you know, I'd been in the Methodist church for all my life and there had been similar things to this. And I'd never had this thought, these are my people, hmm. right? And all of a sudden as a Catholic, I'm looking at this Catholic church that had been uh, attacked and, and I see the loss of life all the way across the world, people I've never met. And I said, these, th- these are my people. Uh, even, you know, this week we've seen uh, three... I think the third Catholic priest in Mexico was killed either in a very short period of time. And there's this reality and this understanding that these are my people. And so I have a sense of solidarity and I share in their sacrifice and I, in a specific way, as I attend the liturgy, as I attend the mass, I pray for the repose of their soul. And I think that we have to be cognizant of that and not, uh, not step back from that. Mm-hmm. Lean into that a little bit more and, and embrace the fact that as we are individually participating in the Mass, we do so for the benefit of our own soul, but also for the community of faith and also for the whole world. Because the sacrifice is offered not just for myself and not just for my community, but it's offered for the whole world. Right. And the interesting thing about, you know, you, you noting the the transition between, you know, hey, what What's it like to be one part of a Methodist church or any any other you know mm-hmm. any other church um, or community and see people in that same community suffering across the world? You can empathize that with that. You can feel connected to that, in the sense that anybody in the same club can. Uh, and I don't want to be as I don't want to be pejorative about our, our Protestant brothers and sisters, um, but it's really through the mass in a very unique way that Catholics experience that. It's not because because we are Catholic. It's because Catholics have the mass that that is a unique reality that we participate in. We we engage in communion with the body of Christ in a very different and unique way than any other denomination and certainly than 
secular clubs, which don't participate in that experience community with each right. other. Um, and so it's not just I'm, I'm one of those people or that guy goes and does something similar to what I do. It's that we all sit around the same altar, you know, mm-hmm. in heaven, experiencing that in a way that none of us can comprehend, but that we know to be true. And, uh, you know, there's nothing there's nothing else in the the created universe or beyond that I know that comes near that experience of unity. Now, humanity has this longing for belonging. Right? Mm-hmm. We have this innate need to feel connected to to the world and to those who are around us. And so this being the source and the summit, both that we gain strength from and that we aspire to, now we have this opportunity to share that with those people who are around us, to, to give them some idea of sense of belonging. And that's something that you're doing through a, a podcast project that you have. We interviewed about it before called, yeah. called Threshold. Threshold podcast. Um, yeah. So um, a little while ago I started that and it's really just meant to be this statement of there, there are these human longings. There's all these, are these common questions that we all struggle with. And no matter how secular or atheistic someone is at some point they've had to wrestle with these same questions, you know, um, I think it's Dawkins who on a scale of one to eight, you know, for how atheist you are still only described himself as a seven um, Mm -hmm. and said, you know, you'll probably never meet anybody who's actually an eight because at some point we all have these, these deeper spiritual longings that we can't truly ever explain away any other way than by acknowledging there is something bigger and grander than we are. So I, I basically just sit down and I talk to somebody about what they believe, what shaped that belief and why it matters in their daily life. And um, we're getting ready for the second season and I've been talking to so many specifically strong women um, who come from a secular or atheist or um, just unchurched or angry at church perspective. Um, but there have been some of the most life-giving conversations I've had because um, at the end I just offer people prayer, mm-hmm. right? And um, they all receive it. Even these right. people who are saying, you know, I don't believe or, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily buy that Jesus is this person. And I even, I had somebody who is a, who grew up in a very atheistic home who said basically they've dabbled in a little bit of Unitarianism, but nothing more than that. The, the quote that they offered for who they think Jesus was, um, was somebody who introduced love and forgiveness into the lexicon of humanity in a way that had never been experienced before. I agree with that. I know. <laughs> and so you have these people who are, who are again, not, not Catholic, not Christian, who still are, seeking this deeper desire. And ultimately that individual who, who had that quote said, um, you know, ultimately what I believe in is connectedness because I do, I desire this belonging. And so we experience in that in a very, very real way in the liturgy. And the question becomes, how do we go out and actually live that out in the way that we're called to? And I think one of the things is that we, we dwell and we abide in, in the presence of God and we don't rush to some, textbook end. Mm-hmm. We, we meet people where they are. Uh, we don't rush them on their journey, but we give them a companion, someone to walk with them. Uh, and specifically someone who is strengthened and nourished by the presence of God through the Eucharist and through the Mass. We've been talking today with Tony Vicenda, Director of Evangelization and Outreach at St. Luke's Parish in Shoreline, Washington. Go check out the work he's doing at projectym.com. And if you got a beard, go over to Catholic Beard at CatholicBalm.co. Get you some of that goodness. Support youth ministry in the process. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Had a great conversation today with Tony Vicenda, Director of Evangelization and Outreach for a Parish in the Seattle area. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with those who are in your circle of influence, well, have no fear. They're all archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You can listen to every episode we've ever done, uh, including this one. And there's also more to the conversation than we've been able to put here on air. In fact, we have uh, probably about 15, 16 more minutes of conversation available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Uh, That's a way that we can continue to bring you excellent content week in and week out uh, and give you some extra cool stuff in the process. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and see how you can support the work of Outside the Walls. Today, we're talking about the Mass, and specifically the role of the Mass in the life of a disciple. And tomorrow's readings are all about Christ being the vine and the branches. And we've got that reading today uh, from John 15 that we'll hear tomorrow at Mass. And then a commentary on that same scripture by St. Cyril of Alexandria we're going to talk about. And we're all going to tie it into my experience this week, kayaking. Now, I've been kayaking before uh, in those nice, wide, pleasure kayaks that you've seen. But this, this was a really narrow kayak. <laughs> And I've gone kayaking on on, uh, some placid rivers and on a lake before, but this was kayaking uh, off of an island in the Puget Sound, and it was a very different experience. And it relates to today's gospel, and I'll tell you how in just a second. Our gospel today comes from the book of John, chapter 15. And Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and every one that does he prunes so that it bears more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire, and they will be burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. That reading comes from the Gospel of John. And what I want to focus on here is that word remain. Because we hear the word remain, and we think of it as a very passive word. Uh, Just like the branch really has no say uh, agriculturally in whether it remains part of the vine, we think of that word in the same manner, that as long as you don't move away, you're remaining. But that's not the sense that we get from the Greek. Uh, In the Greek, the word for remain there is in the aorist tense. And what that means is it it is an action that is ongoing. So it could be read as this way. Remain and keep remaining in me as I remain in you. Uh, And this idea that we have to actively continue to remain is... uh, maybe something that we we don't quite understand. So I want to talk about my time out in the kayak on the Puget Sound 
It's one of those really narrow kayaks that's uh, constantly working to dump you into the scariest part of the water. <laughs> you, you feel like you're walking on a tightrope, and no matter what you do, you're doing everything you can to stay upright. You are remaining upright. And that takes a lot of work in your core, and it takes a lot of work in, in balance, uh, because anything that you do, any movement you make, can so easily get blown out of proportion, and you lose your balance, and then you end up getting eaten by an orca. Or at least that's how I imagined it in my head when I was out in the water. Uh, and so it, it, this idea of remaining is a far more active idea. Uh, back when I first looked at this uh, in, in grad school, this concept that I had was that of a magnet. And you, you get two magnets and they like one another and they're on opposite poles. But when you try to put them uh, on the same pole, they resist and they are constantly pushing away. And so you actually have to remain there holding those two magnets together if you want them to stay together. Because as soon as you let go, as soon as you quit that active participation, uh, they go to their natural state, which is to push away from one another. And our human nature doesn't like to be in terribly close proximity to the divine nature because uh, we see our weaknesses when we are closely in communion with God. And so our own human nature works against us and, and pushes us a little bit away. Our busyness, our culture works against us and pushes us away. And so it takes a very intentional discipleship for us to remain in Christ in the way that he's calling us to so that we'll bear much fruit and that God the Father will be glorified through our discipleship. So this is what it means for you and I to remain. Uh, it means not being passive at Mass, not being passive in our daily life, but pressing in, pushing a little bit further, keeping our balance, right? keeping our work-life balance, keeping our family balance, keeping uh, ourselves centered and our attention focused on God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit by the work of Christ. Our reading from church history today is a commentary on the same Gospel of John by Cyril of Alexandria, and he says this, The Lord calls himself the vine, and those united to him branches in order to teach us how we should benefit from our union with him, and how important it is for us to remain in his love by receiving the Holy Spirit, who is the bond of union between us and Christ our Savior. Those who are joined to him, as branches are to a vine, share in his own nature. On the part of those who come to the vine, their union with him depends upon a deliberate act of the will, on his part, the union is affected by grace. Because we had goodwill, we made the act of faith that brought us to Christ and received from him the dignity of adopted sonship that made us his own kinsmen. According to the words of St. Paul, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The prophet Isaiah calls Christ the foundation because it is upon him that we as living and spiritual stones are built into a holy priesthood to be a dwelling place for God the Spirit. Upon no other foundation than Christ can this temple be built. Here, Christ is teaching the same truth by calling himself the vine, since the vine is the parent of its branches 
and provides their nourishment. From Christ and in Christ, we have been reborn through the Spirit in order to bear the fruit of life, not the fruit of our old sinful life, but the fruit of a new life founded upon our faith in Him and our love for Him. Like branches growing from a vine, we now draw our life from Christ and we cling to His holy commandment in order to preserve this life. Eager to safeguard the blessing of our noble birth, we are careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and who makes us aware of God's presence in us. Let the wisdom of John teach us how we live in Christ and Christ lives in us. The proof that we are living in him and he is living in us is that he has given us a share in his spirit. Just as the trunk of the vine gives its own natural properties to each of its branches, so by bestowing on them the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the only begotten Son of the Father, gives Christians a certain kinship with himself and with God the Father because they have been united to him by faith and determination to do his will in all things. He helps them to grow in love and reverence for God and teaches them to discern right from wrong and to act with integrity. That reading comes from a commentary on the Gospel of John by St. Cyril of Alexandria. The life of faith, the, the whole purpose of going to Mass, the whole purpose is not just so that you know we can meet other people and have a sense of belonging and a sense of kinship with other Christians. The whole point of the Christian life, the whole point of the sacraments, is for us to be in union with God. And what does that look like? I mean, you hear these words, union with God and remaining in the vine, and it can seem a little daunting, first of all. But honestly, you only have to worry about this moment right now, this moment that's in front of you. This present moment is all that you're given. And when you only look at this moment, it becomes a little bit easier to say, what does union with God look like right now? Maybe it's uh, just an acknowledgement of the presence of God in your daily life. Psalm 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And that's the first step is in this moment, right where you are, say, God, I acknowledge that you are here and I want to know. I want to know how I can live in union with you here in this moment. What's the thing I need to do right now? And that is not nearly as daunting as trying to figure out the whole of your life. Start at this moment, remaining in this instant, remaining in Christ's love, even as he remains in you. That's all the time we have this week. This week's show is brought to you by the Cleehammers and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, join their numbers and get cool stuff. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 